Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings. Wide World on Money FM 89.3. Well, we are going to indeed go around our wide world this morning and bring in a, a longtime friend of ours, supporter of the show, Don Pierce, who is uh, in Singapore, back returning, visiting Singapore from his new home in Washington, D.C. Don, great to have you in the studio with us today. Welcome back. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here, actually here, rather than in in my office back in, uh, in D.C. Well, you know, we had you on the show, um, you know, a number of times over the years and uh, talking generally about security issues and, and different things. Now you're working a little bit more on the trade side. Give us an overview of the type of work you're doing in D.C. And, and, and how your career has progressed that way. Well, sure. Well, <clears throat> primarily I'm working as a senior advisor with uh, Taurus Trade Advisory, which is a... Uh, I had originally wanted to be the uh, founder of the Hugh Grant uh, PR Society, but that's that's <laughs> been taken that's already. Happen. So, yeah. so luckily, um, um, although there may be a new position opening up soon, <laughs> I suspect they've all been fired. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah. but I was hired uh, uh, basically as uh, an adjunct to a law firm called Torres uh, Trade mm. Law, mm. focuses on international trade-related issues. Customs on the inbound side, export controls on the outbound side, and also the uh, the national security issues that are mm. now involved in uh, U.S. trade and in uh, uh, foreign investment. And um, that's an interesting and, place. An ever-growing uh, challenge, yes. right? Yeah. Especially for yeah. me since uh, this is something that, well, as a – you know, during my career, I – uh, was as a as an investigator, I was primarily doing export control work, and now a lot of that export control related information, a lot of that data, is some of the stuff that is going into uh, how the United States regulates uh, the uh, inbound and hmm. uh, possibly now outbound foreign hmm. investment. Well, let's let's jump in there, Don, for the benefit of our listeners. What kind of investigator were you? Who for? And maybe give us a case or two or an example or two of what you actually did and investigated. Absolutely. So I was a special agent in the Office of Export Enforcement, which is part of the Bureau of Industry and Security, which is in the Commerce Department. Now, I say that now and you know there are probably many people who say, oh, I remember reading about that in the Wall Street Journal. Um, when I started, we didn't get press coverage anywhere. Mm. Forget about uh, yeah. the 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 national or international press um so it's uh, it's it's actually very nice because i used to go to you know cocktail parties or to family reunions and explain that i was a special agent with the commerce department and um my brother would say yeah he's the guy that looks under the mattress to see if the label that says it's illegal to remove this <laughs> has been removed, and people actually bought it. <laughs> so the uh, nice <laughs> and the types of cases that I worked, um, I was very lucky. I got to work in uh, the three major facets of uh, the Commerce Department's uh, export enforcement uh, offices, which is uh, I was a street investigator out of the New York field office. Um, I did cases. Uh, the ones that uh, probably the most important cases in my career were against, um, in one case, a, uh, a company called PPG. You may have heard of mm. them, Pittsburgh Paint and Glass. Okay. And it was for paint. Hmm. Okay. Now, what's interesting <laughs> about this paint is it's the paint you use on a bridge. Okay. And it's also the paint you use in the level one area of a nuclear reactor. Oh. Because the paint for both of those should have the same qualities. You know, it stays on the wall, doesn't flake off because you know you, yeah. you don't want to have to repaint those areas very often. Sure. 
And uh, in this case, uh, this paint was being diverted by a uh, Chinese uh, company, uh, the Huahing Nuclear Construction Company, to the Chasma Nuclear Power Plant in Pakistan. Hmm. And that plant is run by a, an organization called the Pakistan Atomic Energy Commission, which is on a thing called the Entity List, hmm. which, uh, again, um, 20 years ago, people would have probably said the what list, but uh, people now realize that the Entity List, uh, that's the one that Huawei is on. Hmm. And what does that just clarify for the listeners, the Entity List? So the Entity List is a list of organizations, persons, uh, companies who are acting in ways that are contrary to the national security or foreign policy objectives of the United States. And it places a license requirement. And normally what it does is it places a license requirement for all items subject to the export administration regulations, which is everything from like pens to semiconductors. Mm. And as long as it's made in the United States or meets some uh, requirements for uh, U.S. components uh, inside, right? And uh, there's usually also a presumption of denial placed on those licenses. So in other words, you have to come in here and ask us if you can do this, and most likely we're going to say no. Yeah. So the utility of this list is in addition to providing the kind of name and shame of putting this list of you know somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 companies now mm. um, out for trade organizations and uh, uh, potential clients to see – uh, it also gives us the ability to have a very strict regime against a particular target company or organization without disrupting legitimate trade to the to the rest of that country and or to other similar and, and this where this is where really the the rub is right because right now there's a huge discussion in the US government in Congress about what specifically can be exported to China, right? Um, They want to make sure that, and Russia, and North Korea, and many other places that are, you know, considered to be uh, risky places to send U.S. specifically technology to. But the challenge is how, especially in Asia, right, many companies do a lot of business with China and with other countries here. How do you make sure that the right stuff is able to still pass through the borders, or the right investment is still be able to be made, and yet the stuff that the might be perceived as military or whatever doesn't go through. It's it's a really complex yeah. uh, challenge, is it not? Absolutely, and um, that's why the, uh, the the U.S. government has decided to put about 150 investigators on it. Wow, <laughs> so it sounds like a lot. Yeah, well, well, ask the FBI. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, there was actually one of my favorite um, uh, uh, comments that I heard from uh, BIS senior management in the last couple of months was – and I believe it was the uh, undersecretary who said he visited the local FBI field office in Boston and they had as many agents in Boston as he has worldwide. Oh, I see what you're saying. So he, <laughs> they need yes. more. They need so, more. Yeah, and, gotcha. Okay. And in addition – and I, I, shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't be so agent-centric. Uh, it really is a team effort at BIS. There is also a cadre – of intelligence analysts and policy specialists who mm. all come together to try and um, you know square this gigantic circle, yeah, which is is a challenge. Now the upside to this is um, we have some of the best and the brightest, or we 
they. Mm. <laughs> I'm retired almost yeah. three years now, and I sure. still consider myself part of the team. <laughs> I guess it's kind of like being a Marine. You're never really a former Marine. But, um, but old, the, old habits die hard. Yes. And the organization has grown significantly. I know when I came on, there were about 90 agents, and we 10 that got hired at the same time hmm. for the field offices brought us up to 100. So it is growing. I do feel like they need to be significantly plussed up. Mm. Uh, but that being said, luckily, the number of uh, transactions that the Department of Commerce actually reviews is statistically small compared to the number of transactions that are going on. Mm. So if you can focus on the, in some cases, say the top 30 destinations where things are are being diverted and the top 30 commodities that are uh, uh, being sought by weapons proliferators or for um, for other nefarious purposes uh, you can you know kind of use use math and science to your advantage and I think uh, AI is going to eventually significantly help in targeting but um, knowing knowing the US government it's going to take us a significant amount of time to get that in well let's talk about one of these key products semiconductors. This is the thing I'm hearing to- spoken about more than ever, particularly in light of what's going on with Russia and China. Uh, you've got EU and US officials saying that Russia is still able to get the chips and the technology required for military use through their various networks, which I'm sure is what your agents are trying to uncover. Where are they going? Who's buying them? Who's selling them? It all seems so nefarious, like something out of a John le Carre mm-hmm. novel. How are you currently or how are your former colleagues currently tracking those semiconductor routes, if you like, and where they end up and are they for commercial use and are they for military use? It seems to be such a minefield, Don. It's where do cer- you even start with that? It certainly is a minefield and it is certainly complex. And one of the places that most agents start is we're not experts on everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not an engineer. Far from it. In fact, my dreams of being an astronaut were dashed when I found out you needed to be good at math. <laughs> was that the it only helps. reason, Don? Uh, and the eyesight. Yeah. Although I do wear glasses because they say that if you can have your eyesight corrected, um, you can you could still fly, but oh, uh, you Don, can't get the. You've the got surgery. all you've got all the right stuff as far as as far as we're concerned. But anyway, carry on. So the um, the the difficulty is number one is getting uh, access to the information that would lead you to uh, to understand whether or not these items are going to where they're supposed to be. So right. when yeah. I worked out here at the American Embassy, my primary role was to do end-use verifications, which is where we would come out to the company, take a look at the device. I would sometimes take a picture of it or at least note the serial number and then talk to the, uh, to the company that had purchased it about how they're using it, how they're securing it in some cases, hmm. um, where, it, you know, where, it's, where it's going, what it's doing, is it where it's supposed to be, and is it doing what it's supposed to be doing? And most importantly, did the U.S. exporter tell you that this is sensitive mm-hmm. and tell you that if you do want to re-export this or send it to a new end use or to a new end user, that you might need to get uh, U.S. government approval for that first. Right. So, yeah. so kind of a combination of good cop and bad cop all at once. Yeah. We're talking with Don Pierce, the senior advisor at Torres Trade Advisors. There is um, a, what's been called a web of secret chip deals, allegedly to help U.S. tech flows 
to Russia. The U.S. wants to extradite a Russian national, says it supplied uh, American-made chips to defense contractors in Russia. Uh, a Bloomberg News story. What, what do we what do we know about about that? Because it is indicative of many mm-hmm. of these types of stories and, and issues that come up. Yes, and uh, in in many cases, this is second verse, same as the first. Uh, very similar cases. When I was out here in uh, in Singapore, um, only in that case, the end users were in Iran, mm. and the end use was for uh, improvised explosive devices in Iraq. Hmm. So this is kind of a pattern. You establish an, an export control uh, for a particular commodity to a particular location or a particular end use. And that doesn't mean that those companies go, oh, well, I guess I guess now we'll start making tricycles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they want to stay in their in their lane. And especially at a time for Russia where um, munitions are, are, are a significant issue. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you find the back doors. You find the companies that are willing to say that they are the end user and import these goods and then re-export them to you. And that's a little trickier now. In fact, um, uh, Turkey has been uh, in the past a uh, a good transit route for these types of transactions, but they are starting to restrict the re-export of foreign goods from Turkey to to Russia, principally because they're probably getting pressured and are concerned about what we call secondary sanctions, where if we can't stop them from getting it, we will stop you from sending it. And it'll be interesting to see in this in this particular case if we do get the extradition. Uh, extraditions are tricky. It requires the uh, the host government to allow the extradition, and it can take months, in some mm. cases years. And in export control cases in the past, it's been a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, some countries, you know, are glad to help, and uh, some not so much. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. And if you. You know, of course, this is all a legal process. Mm. So if he gets a good lawyer, there's a good chance that he's going back to Russia and wow. not to the United States. So, I mean, listening to you, Don, it is fascinating. So are you alluding to the possibility that the sanctions on Russia ultimately will not have anywhere near the impact we think because they'll always find someone, they'll always set up a front company in a different country to reroute whatever it is they're trying to purchase, in this case, chips to build military hardware. They'll always find a way. Uh, they will always find a way, but it's much like fighting other types of crime. Mm. You will never be crime free. I remember when I lived here, the taxis had a sign that said, remember, low crime does not <laughs> yeah, mean no, no, no crime. crime. Yeah, exactly. It's the same in this. And what this also does is it increases the costs. Mm. You know, It makes it in some cases prohibitive to use the cutting edge technology. So you need to use the not so cutting edge technology. And uh, anyone following the, uh, the, the, you know, the events in the battlefield uh, in Ukraine will notice that the Russian military technology that's being fielded is in some cases the same that their grandparents used in the Soviet <laughs> Union in, in, in their training or in their battles. So it'll be interesting to see the, the degradation uh, uh, in real time as we watch that conflict uh, continue. A, a great example is if you look at the, uh, the Iranian drones, unmanned aerial vehicles that Russia is using in the battlefield, they're also not exactly the greatest technology. The Iran has been under sanctions for years. There was a, a moment where it looked like the, J, the, the Joint Comprehensive uh, Plan of Action was going to 
reduce those um, those sanctions. But uh, the Trump administration pulled the United States out of that deal mm. and the sanctions went right back on. That didn't kill their weapons industry. Yeah. yeah. But it certainly makes their weapons industry uh, significantly challenged to get the cutting edge uh, tech. And where they do get the technology from perhaps, say, unscrupulous uh, uh, vendors selling U.S. technology or um, other countries with, uh, with a good trade relationship with, uh, with Iran, such like China, for example, they're not going to get the best deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be a cost, maybe some service charges as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, it, it, and all of these uh, contribute to that uh, death by a thousand cuts right. type of, uh, of scenario. Don, fascinating topic, and uh, wish we had a little more time. You know, maybe we can jump back with you uh, when you get back into the U.S. as well, and and let's keep this going because this idea of this cross-border flows of sensitive technology is is one that's not going away. Um, the U.S. is coming up with some new, uh, some new, apparently some new laws and some new things uh, in this next six nine months or so. So maybe we'll get back to you on that. In the meantime, great to have you back with us in the studio. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. And thanks for. Using the big studio today. This we did is it good. just for you. I Don. feel so special. <laughs> I didn't even get. I thought you were gonna. He's you know off a tangent to the Secret Service. I thought you were gonna let oh, me ask him about yes. JFK. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, so final final question. So because you've been in government, not in the Secret Service, in the in the in the Commerce Department, but we've got to bring up we've got to bring up JFK. Neil watched it a few weeks ago. I watched it last night again. Who killed JFK, Don? That's a great question. <laughs> and look out for my new book. <laughs> All right, so so I have to admit I am uh, I am not so much a connoisseur of conspiracy theories yeah. as um, I enjoy the 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 mental hoops that many people have yeah. to jump through to believe yep. conspiracy theories and the JFK one. There's just so many theories out mm. there, and and unfortunately, what what is being presented by you know the, by the, like the Warren Report as the truth is just as wacky as all of the conspiracy theories. So I don't yeah. think we'll ever actually know. But I, I have to admit, of of the conspiracy theories uh, out there, the one that I like the most uh. because it's so simple. It's it's Occam's razor. Um, mm. Is that the Secret Service guy? In the follow car, who had not properly qualified with the brand new M16 rifle that was laying on the floor of the car, accidentally placed his finger in the trigger guard, which is a no-no for any of you firearms types. Wow! And accidentally lets a round off. What? Because if you know you were going there, I had not heard that one. Because if you draw a line from where the follow car was, it almost matches what would have been the magic bullet. Oh my god! So there was a book called Mortal Error by uh, Bonner Menninger that uh, explores this theory. I will. Full disclosure, say that it has allegedly been debunked yeah. by other journalists, much like every other every, yeah, theory, you know, but I, I like wow. it better than a magic bullet. That's for sure. <laughs> but what about the second, the third, the fourth shooters? Yeah. Well, they, I mean, all those, here, you know, all so, those and, and there's the interesting thing. So um, uh, Taurus Trade Advisor is actually based in Dallas, um, hmm. and I run the Washington, D.C. office. Yeah. Well, it's me. I'm just the Washington, <laughs> D.C. office. But, but we, I run the, we the know Washington, you're the King, D.C. Don, office. The 
Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> when I when I went to visit the home office for the first time, I made sure I carved out some time to get to Dealey Plaza yeah. and go mm-hmm. to the JFK Museum there, sure. which is in the the former book depository building. Okay. And you can stand in the wind, you know, next to the windows that are next to where his uh, shooter's perch were. And, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. Well, and <laughs> you can you can actually get a good bead for how this probably went down. Mm. Um, and I I will be the first to admit there's no doubt in my mind that he was planning to kill the president that day. Mm. Whether he was Oswald, doing, Oswald, Oswald. Lee Harvey Oswald. Yes. That he was planning to kill the president that day. The the parts of the story that get interesting is how did he just happen to get a job at a place yeah. that had that beautiful vantage point and how did he find that van? How did he know what the route was going to be? Mm. And there are some books out there. Um, there was one and I can't remember the title of it, but uh, it was uh, by a former Secret Service agent and not so much saying that it was the Secret Service that killed him, but that it was failures in the Secret Service procedures that made it easier for him to be assassinated. And, and that's, you know, again, uh, if I if I if I like a theory, I always like a theory that uh, simply writes it off to people being people because that's why there are erasers on the ends of pencils. We yeah. make mistakes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, interesting. All right, thanks. You heard it from Don Pierce, brilliant, ladies and gentlemen, brilliant, senior advisor, Taurus Associates, uh, trade associate advisors, senior advisor. Taurus Trade Advisors. Let me get that right. Thanks for being with us today, Don. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.